It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. In the dark heart of the city... A mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Yes, the mysterious Dr. Bones is here <laughs> for your listening enjoyment. Pleasure. And this, pleasure. Uh, that's right, yes. <laughs> and this is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a lovable land of laudability in a ludicrous world. Wow. I'm, that's, that's a right. m- mouthful. That's a heck of a lullaby. <laughs> you got thing, through huh? it on the first try. I know. I lucky. love it. Yay. <laughs> well, I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of <clears throat> doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And this lovely thing. I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. You know what we should call the show? What? The Itchy. And scratchy show because you have a lot of allergies and you're always itching your eyes. Oh, and uh, I have a scratchy voice. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the I'm itchy d- and scratchy show. I'll be talking in the spring. <laughs> We're going to be talking in the spring a lot about allergies, so that's something that oh my goodness, I do have some experience with. Now we, I think we should call our show the Geezer and the Goddess. Oh, that's Don't you so think sweet that would of be you. Wonderful? Or the Queen a- and the Codger, or. Well, you're not a geezer. <laughs> I'm, codger. Does I'm codger as close mean, to the Does codger mean you're a little cranky sometimes? Possible. Yes. Okay, then maybe codger might fit. But it has to be a good looking. <laughs> yeah, good looking. So it has to be the cute codger. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a lascivious llama, well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. But when the superflu is on the loose, when the walking dead are seeing red, will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? 
A little time and effort, and of course, diligent attention to this podcast will prove to the world <laughs> that you've got more sense than God gave Laundry Lint by learning what to do laundry for lint. injuries and illness. Hey, what are you laughing about? <laughs> I'm laughing Don't at because be laughing. I'm laughing because I did several loads of laundry yesterday, and I have quite the you have uh, a pile of accumulation laundry of multicolored laundry lint. That's right, which would do. Very well as a sort fire. of fire starter, yes, right? Lint, yes, lint. Excellent. Is great. Some to... little t- kindling there. There you go. Tinder. Tinder, tinder. tinder and kindling. That's what tinder really should mean is laundry lint. Oh, my lint. gosh. Yes, we can't talk <laughs> that, about the other that tinder. That should mean That's laundry terrible. lint forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're learning what to do for injuries and illness, maybe it just makes some common sense to get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit too to go along with all that knowledge you're accumulating. <laughs> I sure think so. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster and they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I just want to mention one thing that I just did 10 minutes ago. Oh, okay. It's a little project you and I came up with. Yes. Uh, we have been putting together Alton first aid kits for bleeding for, what, two and a half, at least two and a half years, almost three years, I, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have them in some schools, high schools, yes. some uh, churches, churches have right. had them. And uh, usually the police departments go for the gunshot kits. Yes. But... We live in Broward County. I'm not sure how many people out there actually know where we are. We say South Florida, but we're in Broward County, which is where that shooting, that unfortunate, Just a few horrible. Miles from us, yes. And you know what? I'm I'm not calling it shooting anymore. It was a mass murder with a, a crazy person who happened to use a gun as his weapon. He could have used other things, but anyway, mass murder. Uh, we think that it's important. And we've always felt it's important that not only do schools have fire extinguishers and AEDs in case people have heart attacks, but that they also have first aid kits for regular things. Exactly. And they have first aid kits specifically for bleeding. That is what is missing out of 99.999% of all schools at this point. And so what we have done is we have put together... A box for each one of the uh, school board, of the school, board. school board members, the superintendent right. of Broward County, the principal of the school where the shooting took place. That school was actually called Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and you know a little High bit school, about right. her her history. Yeah, she wrote. Uh, she was a South Florida author. Wrote a famous novel called The Yearling uh, in the fifties, I think, wow. or forties. So. The principal of that school and um, and the attorney general, Pam Bondi, so of for Florida. So we'll see if anybody's interested in actually yeah. getting some kits or at least having us come speak to them. And, you know, we offered our education. And I think that's important for thing. us, that's primary because you can grab other things to MacGyver as tourniquets. You can use a T-shirt for compression. It's nice to have good supplies in one location, but the biggest thing for us is educating kids and teachers about how to stop bleeding. And there's a big national campaign right now that's been going on for, I think, a couple of years now mm. called Stop the Bleed Initiative. 
Right. Basically, your government, USA, wants you, an individual, regardless of your background or age, to know how to stop bleeding from anything, from a car accident, accident, from from glass, from accident, sure, anything, anything. anything. There's from a kitchen accident. Mm -hmm. Heck, I cut my thumb last night when Mm -hmm. I was chopping basil. You know, so things happen. Everyone should know how to stop bleeding. So we have offered to teach classes. You know, and donated a dozen kits, and we've sent all of the those folks a kit which they can place in their own office or give it to a school, whatever they would like to do. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that, you know, we do have those available. And if anybody wants to talk to us about their school or having us provide some education or maybe even write a letter to the principal of of the school where your kids go to um, and see if they're interested, you know, we're happy to help out. The biggest thing, we had kids that went to public schools, you know, it's a very scary situation, even though I don't currently have a child in a public school, they did go to Broward schools. Your three kids and my two kids. So Mm -hmm. it it could have happened to them. I personally went to Broward County for public school also. So it could have been us. It could have been anybody. And so it's not just about, oh, what happened to those people. It's about us all trying to protect our children and each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is... That was a project where I right. just took them and to And I the... think a, a good donation to <sighs> to the school system. I hope they don't wind up in the trash. You know, at least they should keep them. Right. Or give them to a local school. Absolutely. I think that's the best idea. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. Probably more. So get off your duff, hot stuff. Get those nuggets of knowledge out of your noggin and reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. And here's the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you how. <laughs> well, you can email us at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Feel free to write anything you'd like. <laughs> Questions, yes. comments, suggestions. We also have a YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, or and Nurse Amy. Either one will work. Also, yep. you can look up Doom and Bloom. I think our channel shows up under Doom and Bloom also. also? Okay. Uh, let's see. Twitter is at Prepper Show. And our Facebook group, we have a, a wonderful group of people who are like-minded. And even if you're not a medical professional, if you're interested in that subject, you can join. And that one is uh, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And then, of course, we have a regular Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. There you go. Wow, that's a lot of ways to connect with us. And I hope that you will do that today, or at least to one of them, my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just trying to look at our AOL mail while I had mentioned it. Uh-huh. And AOL mail says, we'll be right back. Our okay. engineers are working quickly to resolve the pro- right. issue. Well, this is not a live <laughs> show, so hopefully it will be resolved by that Momentary. time. It must be the North Koreans. I've never seen that. I have to tell you, I've hacking, never. Cyber hacking us. Oh, not us personally, but. Probably a lot of people. Oh, I want to thank the folks at uh, KYAH Utah, land-based <sighs> radio station that is uh, picking up our show, our Survival Medicine Hour show, and also, of course, our good friends at Purple Broadcasting, Survival Central, USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, all the other great networks that carry our program. And don't forget our other podcast, American Survival Radio, all about 
current events with a practical perspective. That's uh, American Survival Radio now in, wow, KFAR, Fairbanks, KRFE, Lubbock, Texas, WNAE, Pennsylvania, KPJC, Salem, Oregon. Wow, lots of other fine radio stations throughout the U.S. of A. Hey, you know, we spent uh, quite a bit of time, actually, a while back talking about pregnancy complications and why, if you're thrown off the grid after a disaster, why, well, you might not want to be fruitful and multiply, at least not in the early going. Well, despite all the best efforts of mice and men to prevent a pregnancy, well, sometimes it happens. You know what? They say it happens. Whether by accident or on purpose, you may find yourself responsible for the care of a pregnant lady in a survival setting or off the grid. And it's important to know how to support that pregnancy and eventually deliver that baby. This is good for maybe a remote homestead as well or somebody on a mission to another country, an underdeveloped country. We're going to have a lot of surprises that will occur medically when we are are off the grid due to a disaster. Things that... We couldn't possibly have foreseen. I mean, there's just too many factors that occur when you don't have available supplies. You don't have a store down the street. Your doctor isn't available even for a consultation over the phone. So things that we just take for granted um, are probably going to be a surprise that, oh, I didn't think about that. Right. Well, a lot of... We're trying to help you guys kind of put at least medical pieces together and things you might need to think of, um, like OB kits, having obstetrical kits. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just contacted <clears throat> my supplier to try and um, put together a kit. So hopefully in the next few days, I will have some OB kits. Oh, I don't think I ever mentioned our store website. Oh. That is store.doomandbloom.net. Yes. Go to store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. That, well, anyhow, we were talking about surprises that occur medically, and for the medic, most of these surprises are going to be unpleasant surprises, but in pregnancy, some aren't necessarily a risk to the health of the mother or even, even the fetus. You won't have access to ultrasounds, for example, to take a look at the baby, see whether it's a boy or a girl is, again, going to become a mystery that's only solved once the baby's out. Even twins might be a surprise, although these folks get pretty huge in most cases. Oh, my goodness. And triplets, well, they're one in 7,000 or 8,000 births anyhow, so uh, unless you use fertility drugs, so probably not an issue. Now, without these prenatal megavitamins that we use, which, by the way, might not be a bad idea for you to have some, of course, babies will probably be a little smaller at birth. That may not be so bad since cesarean sections are not going to be available, and it's less traumatic for a mother to deliver maybe a six-pound or a seven-pound baby than a 10-pound baby. And I haven't had either, so <laughs> I can't tell you whether it is or not, but I suspect I have not having had a, seen thousands of these births. I've not had a 10-pounder either. <laughs> Thankfully, I had six-pounders. <laughs> well, despite all the positive negative things that we talked about in, in a previous show, pregnancy is still a natural process. It normally... <clears throat> proceeds without major complications. It ends in the delivery of a normal baby and a healthy mother, and that recovers well. Although your pregnant patient may not be as productive for the survival group as she would ordinarily be for a while, she'll probably still be able to contribute and help in some ways to make your efforts a success. 
To make a pregnancy a success, though, the medic will have to have some knowledge of the subject and an idea of how to deliver the baby. And we're going to talk about that now. We are, of course, fortunate to have simple tests that can identify pregnancy almost before your patient misses a period. But what if these tests aren't available? You have to rely on the following following mm -hmm. tried and true signs that I've written down uh, and symptoms that will help identify a pregnancy. Uh, of course, missing a period, tender breasts, nausea and vomiting, uh, changes in coloration of, let's say, the nipples, yep. the areola of Darkening. the nipples. Darkening, right? uh -huh. Sensitivity. Uh, right, right. They hurt like heck. Right. They're very sensitive. Frequent urination, um, fatigue. Uh, some people get backache, uh, although I think this is more of a later pregnancy thing. Sensitivity to smell. Sensitivity to smells and, right? You right? can smell garlic from your neighbor's kitchen. <laughs> I'm only half exaggerating. If they're cooking it, you definitely can smell it. <laughs> and well, all the all these things in combination are indicative of a pregnancy. And the timing of each will be variable. Everybody's a little different. Some will be noticed earlier than others. And it should it should be noted that this investigation of whether somebody's pregnant or not looking for these symptoms probably going to be necessary only in somebody who hasn't had a baby before. Oh, let me mention a couple more things. Dizziness. Mm -hmm. Dizziness. Mm -hmm. You can feel dizzy and also just being tired. Yes, fatigue. I think you did mention fatigue, but taking naps when you don't normally take naps. You know, just I am almost like your eyes roll back in your head at four o'clock in the afternoon. Not just, oh, gee, I'm tired. I need an extra cup of coffee, but Dude, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Putting my head on my desk, or I'm laying down on the couch, and I'll talk to you in a couple of hours. <laughs> You're just you tired. <laughs> now, w once you've been pregnant, tell me, tell me this. Now, you yes. had you've had a couple of pregnancies, mm -hmm. and and the second time around, did you know that you were pregnant? I'm I'm one of these people that I was paying very close attention to like conception, so. Ah. I knew I was pregnant, like, you know, <laughs> the first day a pregnancy test was available. I probably started trying them back then. They didn't work until about the 12th mm. or 13th day after Do you conception. Believe, uh -huh. Now they work like, my gosh, what, seven days or some right, very, ridiculous thing? Right, right. Well, let me ask you, do you think that women who have had babies before, do they know just instinctively when they are pregnant again? Hmm. Only if you start having some of those. If your nipples start hurting a lot, yeah. Right. You just sort of... Or you just get really tired, dizzy. Yeah, that's that's what I've Smelling seen things. with some of my patients. Yeah, if you didn't have pregnancy tests, like, again, we're talking grid down here, I think someone who's been pregnant before can say, oh, you know, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you this go. This seems familiar, familiar somehow. Yes. <laughs> I definitely... The first time, you would blame... All of those on something else. Oh, I didn't sleep enough last night. That's why I'm taking a nap. Um, oh, I'm smelling things more. It just must be stronger. Or maybe my nose passages opened up today because I'm, I'm typically stuffy all the time. So you would continuously blame those things. Or I'm, I'm peeing more because I'm drinking more. Until it just became too much. And you'd say, oh, I missed my period and I'm having all these things. You'd have to put those puzzle pieces together before you missed your period uh, for very long. Because, you know, people skip one or two every once in a while. 
Um, first time, I'm not sure. If you weren't trying to get pregnant and looking for these signs, I think mm. you could easily ignore them and dismiss them. For a period of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. Well, of course, as time goes on, it's going to be pretty undeniable when you start seeing your belly swelling and <laughs> the, uterine, the womb growing, things like that. Feeling a thumping. Right, right. What the heck is kicking in there? Although some people who claim that they didn't know they were pregnant, I always wanted to talk to one of those folks. Like, How could you seriously not know that there was something in there the whole time? A little denial going on. <laughs> the entire, yeah. entire time. But yeah, the the kicking is is Pretty. I think undeniable. <laughs> There's some weird thumping going on. That is I think just the, a psychological the thing. Foot gets or... big enough and you say, "Oh, there you go." <laughs> well, you definitely can't miss that and uh, after mm-hmm. a period of time. Of course, you also get hemorrhoids, you get varicose veins, things like that. These are very common, not universal though, not You're really making it. Women want to get pregnant. Oh, well, I, I, that's the thing. I don't want them to get pregnant in the early going that's of true. a disaster. This is that's a true. survival medicine show. Sorry to yep. be so blunt on the realities of... Uh, but the, these but this, these changes are okay. They are part and parcel of the is. average healthy pregnancy. Normal. And most of these will improve after the pregnancy is over. It may not disappear completely, but most of them will get better. Now, the big question everybody wants answered once they figure out that there's a pregnancy is what is the due date? Now, of course, as a medic, it's probably a good idea for you to advise your the women in your group to always keep have an idea of when their last first day of their last period. That's was. a great idea. Jot it down. You can have a little code so nobody who looks at your calendar knows what the heck it is. Um, a star means the first day, and an X means the day it stopped. You know, just. Keep an just eye, have an idea. Keep an eye on it. Yeah. And right. then you know by the stars, which is the first day, those days between the stars, which is the first day, is how far apart your periods are. Right. We talked about figuring out uh, from the cycle how, when, or when, rather, you are ovulating. Right. And the sort of a natural family planning thing. But we're talking about pregnancy today. So let's talk about that. A human pregnancy lasts 280 days or 40 weeks from the first day of the last menstrual period to the estimated date of delivery. This used to be called the estimated date of confinement because, yes, they confined women to their beds as they approached the date. So estimated I wouldn't date mind EDC. being told I could take a lot more naps, but I'm not sure I'd you like to be I, stuck in bed. Yeah, right? that's that's for serious problems with pregnancies. Well, your due date is simple to calculate if you've got regular monthly periods. To get the due date, subtract three months and add seven days to the first day of the last period. For example, if the first day of, la- of your last menstrual period is, uh, we'll use numbers here, 9-7, September 7th, 9-7, then the due date is 9 minus 6, m- nine, 9 minus 3, 6. Which would be June. June, and plus 7, 7 plus 7, 14. So your due date would be officially be... June 14th. Of course, that is a ballpark figure, and so you most people deliver within two weeks plus or minus of that date. Hopefully not plus. Yes. There's no, nothing worse than being over your due date. They, I believe it. <laughs> Those poor women, they're like, oh, when is this going to be over? I'm like, well, that baby just needs to be cooked a little more. What can I say? <laughs> well, some people just don't know when their last cycle was and if that's the case you as a medic in a austere setting 
can still estimate the age of your pregnancy by the physical signs and size of the uterus, for example. When you gently press on the woman's abdomen, if you notice a firm area, you'll, you'll notice a firm area where the womb As is. As the baby gets bigger. Right. And a soft, Not at first. Right. The soft area on the belly is the, the intestines, mm-hmm. and the hard part is going to be the, the womb or the uterus. You identify the uppermost level of the firmness, and you'll be able to estimate an approximate age for a pregnancy. Now, so let, let me just give a real quick visualization of what you can do. You could start at the uh, pubic bone and sort of work your way up gently, 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 moving your way up until you get... <clears throat> normally, you won't feel the uterus until it's around the belly button. And I think you were going to mention about how many weeks someone is. Yep. Now, some people can feel it. In, you know, It depends on the weight of the person. But if somebody's skinny, you might be able to feel it as it first peaks over... The pubic bone. If you can, that's probably about 12 weeks of pregnancy. Now, halfway between the pubic bone and the belly button, that's supposed to be about 16 weeks. Mm. At the belly button, where you mentioned, that's 20 weeks, and and most everybody knows by then. Yeah, that's a good time to really if you if people just aren't really sure, and you feel now the uterus is at the belly button, you could pretty much be assured unless it's twins. <laughs> yes, that's true. And then they'll be bigger. They'll be more. They are about 20 weeks. And about 20 weeks from then is their due date. There you go. Well, also, <clears throat> it's very important for the medic to have a measuring tape is usually a pretty good thing to have. I get yep. a handy-dandy measuring handy tape. Dandy. <laughs> and each, after 20 weeks, after it's at the belly button, each centimeter above the belly button, if you measure, if you have a centimeter measuring tape, Adds about a week. So uh, at 22 weeks, for example, we usually saw a measurement around 22. You know, at 28 weeks, we were looking for a measurement around 28. Exactly. I mean, it's plus or minus. Right. But a term pregnancy measures about, what, I'd say 38 to 42, depending on the size of the baby. Yeah. Or 36 to 42. Well, what exactly. do you think? Yeah, I... 36 to 42. Again, it just depends. Yeah, you can have a 10-pounder that's 38 weeks pregnant, and it's going to measure 42. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I could be more. You in- start getting thrown off a little bit if you got a, a really big one in there growing. If right. it's an average size, then 38 centimeters is going to meet with the 38 weeks. So it'll stay on target. There you go. Um now, of course, when the baby does drop prior to going to labor, and so sometimes you'll see a slight decrease in the in the measurement. Exactly, because what, what it's doing, folks, is it's moving down into the pelvis, which is where it's going to exit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so the head goes down a little bit, and what the woman will feel, I'm sure you're going to talk about this, is more pressure on the bladder. So now you have to pee every 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of hourly, <laughs> yes, not. you have no like hardly any capacity for the bladder because the bladder and the baby's head are sort of taking up the same general space. So your bladder <laughs> doesn't have a whole lot of place to expand. Crazy baby, that's all I have to say. <laughs> now, on in a lot of circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's not too much you're going to be able to do if there's a problem during the pregnancy. Some of the problems where we've mentioned before are excessive vomiting. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can accumulate some Zofran. Uh, ask your doctor for a prescription for Zofran. Zofran, Z-O-F-R-A-N. Excellent anti-nausea medicine. Usually 
they have no problem giving people a prescription for that, especially if they're going anywhere where there's questionable water or, you know, concerned about a disaster. Flu season. Yes, things <laughs> like that, right. So you do see that in some people. Dry, If you don't have that, dry, bland foods, crackers, things like that are helpful to getting a woman through that stage. And staying away from stinky smells. Right. Oh, and also ginger tea, very good for morning yes, sickness. Yes, ginger's awesome. Yes, absolutely. There's also an acupressure point. Uh, there's a band that came out. I'm not sure if it's still on the market. I haven't even looked. But it had a little, almost a button underneath a, a sweatband. Remember sweatbands? Uh-huh, right. Mm-hmm. For the wrist, though, not for the forehead. It was a wrist size, and the little button Had was pressure, underneath, right. right, underneath the sweatband, so it was directly on the skin. And the spot that you would put place that would be at the bottom of what would you call this spot right here? The hallux. <laughs> not the, uh, not the, official. The I'm trying to give the, a layman term. The base here. of the thumb. Base of the thumb. Your lowest thumb joint where you have the most mobility at the wrist. But right there, underneath that, on the wrist, so it would be the outer aspect of your wrist, um, would be a great place to put pressure. So you could even make your own with some sort of uh, sock or band, something that wasn't uh-huh. too uncomfortable, and, and a button or something that put just a little pressure on it. Supposedly, that acupressure point decreases nausea. There you go. Hey, now, it, it can't hurt right, the baby, so right, exactly. why so not? It might, might be worth giving there it a try. There you go. Uh, of course, if somebody bleeds during a pregnancy, they should go on bed rest. Not be, there won't be too much else you'll be able to do. If the pregnancy is not going to continue, well, then the person will have some discomfort and, and some bleeding and will pass what they call the products of conception. Right. And that's something that you need to keep an eye out for foul vaginal discharges for uh, fevers things like that they can get infected or they can have a pretty significant bleeding so you have to keep an eye on on things and you want to have some antibiotics we've talked about antibiotics in the past in your medical supplies of course a pregnant woman in a normal pregnancy you should evaluate them periodically to see how they're progressing um uh, after a certain amount of growth in the size of the uterus, you should be able to hear the fetal heartbeat. And you can hear it if you have one of those battery-powered fetal heart <coughs> monitors and, of course, some rechargeable batteries, some yes, solar-powered exactly. batteries, maybe. <laughs> you can uh, listen to it relatively easy, easily. And, uh, of course, there is an act. You can start hearing it maybe at 16 to 18 weeks with that. 16 weeks, I would think, maybe with that item. Yeah. But later with... 20 is about the easiest time from then on. 16, you got to kind of know yes, where you're looking. Right, exactly. So, uh, of course, they, I'm going to go get some water. These things right are back. also called Doppler ultrasounds, and they're available for sales on, a sale online. You can find those. And what you need to do is you need to uh, basically just apply a little gentle pressure over the main part of the uterus, and then you just actually just... Most of the time, you don't have to move, at least in the early part of the pregnancy, you don't have to really move it much, just sort of tilt it one way or another, and you hear a heartbeat. The heartbeat is going to be different than your pulse, because it's a different person, right? It's a, and fetal heartbeats are between 120 and 160 beats per minute, and obviously that would be a very, 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 very fast heartbeat for a adult woman, so... 
this is one thing that is very important uh, to know. Oh, by, by the way, if you do not have a fetal Doppler ultrasound, you can use a stethoscope. You use the bell portion of the stethoscope. There's the flat part. It's called the diaphragm. The bell is the sort of, well, uh, concave-looking uh, part of it, and that's what you would listen with. There is an actual thing called a fetoscope in which you actually put it on your head, and it has a big, giant bell that you just push your head down onto the lady's belly and and listen to you know, the heartbeat. That's we, I we practiced with those when I was in school. That was hard. <laughs> well, early on, absolutely, oh it was my very difficult. Later goodness. on, you know, at the end, towards the end of the pregnancy, it, you could you can hear. Did it. you have a lot of experience with those? I did. We did in the early because I'm old, old, old. As soon old, as old. I came out of school, I, when, my first job from nursing school was in labor and delivery, and we had, you know, the fetal monitors mm-hmm, for yep. labor, and we had the Dopplers. Right, exactly. Um, so I never had to rely on that kind of... Well, I always think people should have solar-powered battery chargers, <clears throat> rechargeable batteries, and that way you can use things like Doppler uh, ultrasound Hopefully uh, the fetal, fetal monitors. Hopefully the fetoscopes, Dopplers have come down a little bit exactly. in prices. So anyhow, these are things that you can see online. Of course, uh, in the early part of a pregnancy, you see the patient every, what, four weeks, three to four weeks. Yeah, that's good. Okay, every two weeks, I would say, in the second trimester, pregnancies are divided into trimester, the first uh, 12 weeks, second 12 weeks, and then the rest. That's called, uh, so you have a first trimester, second trimester, third trimester. I just want to say that what we're recommending is not what's done. (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, normally when you go at 12 weeks and they see you at 16 weeks and they see you at 20 weeks and they see you at 24 weeks and then 28 weeks and 32 and what? then 36 and then we started seeing them weekly. And maybe sometimes at 32 and 34 and 36. Mm. Um, but we're talking about an off-grid and so you need to keep a really close eye on this lady. You know, your visits, I, I, I completely agree with you, every two weeks. From 12 on. Well, How's she eating? No, no. I t- from 12 on, no. <clears throat> I'd say month, every four weeks. Okay. Until you hit about 20. I was just 20, thinking that we're, all, we're talking about, about off-grid, though. Weeks. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, there's not too much you can do for yeah. a 12-week or a 16-week group. So I would say every four weeks all at right, that so point. All right. So stick to the normal yep. routine, which and, would be 12 weeks, then but, but 16 once, weeks. But wait. Once you, once you get beyond <clears> about 20 <throat> weeks or so or 22 weeks, you know, then I would go to th- maybe every three weeks, every two weeks, and and see just Until see people end. more often. And definitely the last four weeks from thirty six on weekly. Yes. Because she's going to want to know if she's dilating, if anything's happening, has the head moved down. Women need positive reinforcement that things are progressing and the kids actually going to come out. <laughs> right. Because you start to believe that it's never going to happen. Minutes feel like days right. unfortunately when you're super pregnant now one thing that's very important during your exam uh, on your visit is to take the blood pressure of the pregnant lady especially later on in the pregnancy because people do get uh, pregnant high blood pressure sometimes as a result of being pregnant uh, pregnant that's called pregnancy induced hypertension in the old days they called it preeclampsia and it was dangerous because it could lead to eclampsia, which is basically a condition where you have seizures, very bad seizures, and it could be very dangerous, life-threatening. 
dangerous kind mm-hmm. of kind of thing. In yep. um, people who have uh, now, of course, a certain amount of swelling, let's say in the ankles, things like that are common in pregnancy, in normal pregnancies. But in people who have pregnancy-induced hypertension, that swelling is usually much more <clears throat> and goes up much more. You'll swell. Your the face, face may swell. The, the hands face. may swell oh my significantly. So you'll see a lot of swelling and they're pretty much the only thing you'll probably be able to do in these cases is just have them lay on her left side. That's the, watch the position salt. where the pressure is probably can't lowest. can watch the salt. And unfortunately, in an off-grid situation, if you're relying on freeze-dried and prepackaged foods, MRE-type things, very high in salt. Yeah. So that's going to be tough. You know, you got to have nutrition, but what you have has high salt. So, again, putting off pregnancy, not not having babies, but putting off pregnancy until maybe the food crops Things are growing are and she can yeah. have more of an, a natural food with mixtures of fruits and vegetables and maybe some meat that was grown nearby, you know, some fresh chicken and some fresh beef or fresh pork that hasn't been processed and salted and filled with all kinds of preservatives. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it just one more reason while waiting is better for women to get pregnant if we have a long-term off-grid situation. Exactly. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit. Now we've gotten the pregnancy all the way to you know, the, the end, the ninth month. So let's talk a little bit about labor. As a woman approaches her due date, there are several things that happen. We talked about the baby dropping uh, and assuming a position sort of deep in the pelvis. And the abdomen appears a little bit lower. Now, what's that? that's what's happening up top. Inside, on the bottom, you have what we call the neck of the uterus or the cervix. And that cervix, which normally is very firm, it actually softens up, and the patient may notice a mucus-like discharge mixed in with a little blood. This is referred to as the bloody show and is usually a sign that labor is going to occur soon, anywhere from the next few hours to God, the next few days probably. Mm-hmm. Now, if you examine your patient vaginally, what you do for a vaginal exam is you put a glove on and you insert two fingers into the vagina and you will notice that the cervix is at the end of the vagina and it will be firm like your nose when it's not ripe, but it becomes soft like your lips when the due date approaches. And this softening and thinning out of the cervix is called, we call that effacement, effacement. And effacement is measured in percentages. When the cervix is about half its normal thickness, and that's why you should probably examine the person earlier in the pregnancy at least once so that you can get an idea for what it normally feels like. Uh, When it's about 50% effaced, the cervix is at half its normal thickness and its length. And at 100%, the cervix becomes absolutely paper thin. Yep. And effacement usually occurs in most cases before any significant opening of the cervix, especially in the first pregnancy. And we call the opening of the cervix to be, we call that dilation. Now, dilation of the cervical opening is usually slow at first and speeds up once your patient reaches maybe, what, three or four centimeters, would you say? Exactly. First three or four centimeters is sort of slow. Then after that, things get going. Yeah, that can take hours. That can take hours. That can actually take a day day, or or two. You're right. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Exactly. 
Now, of course, so you can't big, rush these things. Right, right, exactly. And of course, you have pretty much very little choice but to be waiting in an austere setting. Now, yep. at about three to four centimeters, you're going to be able to place maybe two fingers. Yep into the cervix and actually feel something firm and that's going to be the baby's head. If or something or, soft and yes, you feel the, the baby's butt. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I have one more. That's called a breach. I have breach. one more. A or bubble. Oh, a bubble. Okay. In for the, the sac. For the amniotic. If the amniotic right, fluid right. has not The bag pops. of water, what they call. Yep. yep. Exactly. Yep. So if you feel a squishy balloon it seems like it's got water in it, don't break it. Right. Just let it go. Just let it do its thing. It's actually going to help Don't produce. force it. <laughs> it actually will help produce pressure that will yes. help the cervix Force dilate. on the cervix, right. right. And, and that you can feel because it's got to be very slippery. Yes. Uh, and, and smooth. Whheras if you're feeling the top of a baby's head, it usually feels a little more grainy. Yep. I would say. Because <clears throat> you might be feeling hair. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that's how you can tell the difference between those two. Um now, of course, contractions are going to start occurring. They're going to be becoming more and more frequent as time goes on. To identify a contraction, what you can do is feel the skin in the soft area of your cheek and then touch your forehead. A contraction will feel sort of like your forehead, and in between contractions, it will feel sort of like your cheek. Uh, now, there's something called false labor, or the, uh, also known as Braxton Hicks contractions. Oh, These yeah. are irregular, and they... Are, are common in the last few weeks of a pregnancy. Uh, but the difference is, is that with hydration, if you mm -hmm. hydra give fluids to a person orally and put them on bed rests, especially on the left side, usually the Braxton-Hicks contractions go away. And if, But if you do those things and contractions are coming faster and f more furious, even with bed rest and hydration, you got probably the real thing going on. Now, of course, breaking the water is something that you may see, and that's a gush of watery fluid from the vagina. It may happen during the actual delivery itself, or it may occur earlier in the labor. Um, the timing, of course, is pretty variable. Sometimes you might confuse the leakage of a little urine uh -huh. with the uh, breaking of the bag of water. There is a product called nitrazine paper, which turns a bright blue when... It touches amniotic fluid right, because it has a high pH. It's a pH. Paper. It'll help you distinguish whether, you know, like you said, someone just urinated a little bit or the bag of water actually broke because you don't always see this huge gush of water like you see in the movies. Right. <laughs> the big splash. Sometimes it is a little leak of amniotic fluid. Uh, you know, exactly. Sometimes it does happen like that. So that nitrazine paper is probably a useful item for the medic that will be dealing with women of reproductive age. If you had a microscope in the hospital tent, well, a little amniotic fluid on a slide, when it dries, it will reveal fern-like crystals. And this uh, is called ferning and is more solid proof of membrane rupture than just the nitrazine positive test. Um, Wow, you're bringing me back to like old time. days wow. gone by. I know. I'm going. I'm wow. giving you the old timey <laughs> stuff. I feel like that, I'm reading my old books here. Yeah, that's what our survival. <laughs> that's what our survival medics will have to do. Wow. Now, once you're dilated, people get to about ten centimeters dilated. We call that completely dilated because you basically cannot feel the cervix anymore. You just yep. feel the head itself, and 
that needs to be achieved before you really try to put, have the woman push the baby out. Otherwise, she's just going to get tired. You really need her to not have to push through her cervix. In most cases, you know, the baby will just come down. And you start pushing once you're completely dilated and there's no cervix to feel anymore. Of course, delivering a baby is best accomplished with the help of an experienced midwife. But Thank you very much. Those, like the lovely nurse Amy here, but those professionals are going to be hard to find in survival settings, so it's going to be up to you to perform the delivery. Now, to get ready for the delivery, well, wash your hands, and you should put some gloves on and get some nitrile gloves. It'll be a good idea. Then place some clean sheets so there will be the least contamination possible. Remember, you're not going to have a sterile situation, but you want to have it as clean as you possibly can. You can take the sheets. I put one under the mother's uh, buttocks and sp- spread one on your la- and then spread that one so it goes over your lap so that the baby, which comes out very slippery, will land on the sheet instead of the floor if you happen to lose your grip on it. Yeah, oh, I think that would probably be a good no, idea. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Put a towel on the that mom's... That never happen. <laughs> Put a towel on mom's belly. That's where the baby's <clears throat> going to go once it's delivered. And it's going to be very, very important to dry the baby and wrap it in a towel once the baby's out as newborns lose heat pretty darn quickly. Right. Now, of course, as the labor progresses, the baby's head's going to move down the birth canal and the vagina is going to begin to bulge. When the baby's head begins to become visible, we call that crowning because you're seeing the crown of the head. And if the water has not yet broken, which can happen even at this late stage, well, the lining of the bag of water will appear as this slick gray surface. Now, some pressure on the membrane will rupture it and might be okay at this point. It's controversial, uh, honestly, but might help the process along. What do you think? I agree. There you go. Absolutely. And to make space, you might. some people do what's called perineal massage. Now, that's also a little controversial. Some people believe in it and some people don't. To do that, you would place two fingers, gloved fingers, along the edge of the vagina by the perineum, the area between the anus and the vagina. Some people call it the taint. Because it taint what a, what's above and it taint what's below. <laughs> ha ha! You are so funny. Now, to use some gentle pressure, using some gentle pressure, you want to move your fingers from side to side, and this stretches the area somewhat. It might give the baby a little more room to come out. It may decrease the kinds of tears that may occur with the baby coming out. I mean, it's not advocated by everybody, but uh, perineal massage might decrease the risk of lacerations caused by delivery of the baby. It's it's a, a individual thing as to whether people believe in that or not. Now, with each contraction, the baby's head will come out a little bit more. Don't concern. Don't be concerned if it goes back in after the contraction. That's very normal, but eventually it should make steady progress and more and more of the head's going to start becoming visible over time. Encourage mom by help, uh, to help by taking a deep breath with each contraction and then pushing while slowly exhaling. Uh, let's see. Of course, there are... Doc, especially doctors. I'm uh-huh. not sure if a lot of midwives do this, but especially doctors. I know mm-hmm. midwives at the city hospital I work at did do this, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that I, I didn't do this routinely. Some people made a cut in the bottom of the edge of the vagina to make room for the baby to be delivered. That's called an <sighs> episiotomy. Yeah. And I discourage this if at all possible, as the cut has to be sutured afterwards. I know. There are some people that can and get away bleeds, without a tear. Because now you're cutting where it's very vascular. Right. So just massage with a little coconut oil or olive oil very gently or... Lubricant of some sort, right. Some sort of lubricant. 
um, water soluble is best. Absolutely. But try not to cut. Right. I make this decision as the head's crowding, and I would only perform an episiotomy if I believed uh, a really large, jagged, huge, jagged tear is going to occur. Or huge babies coming out. Right. Or that would damage the, you know, anything that might damage the anal muscle, yes. the sphincter, yes. or the rectum itself. Then to protect the mom or to protect the baby, those are the two reasons you do it. There you go. As the baby's head emerges, it usually faces straight down or straight up and then turns to the side. Everybody, each kid is a little different. Most of them are down. Right. Down facing. <laughs> exactly. Now, the cord could be wrapped around his neck. There's a length of cord. Yeah. And if you spend nine months mm. floating around in fluid and with a with a rope, you around, might get it around your neck. Twisting. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. If this is the case, just gently slip it over the baby's head. There are some cases where the cord is very tight and seems to be preventing the delivery of the baby. In that case, you may choose... To clamp it doubly with either Kelly clamps or they have specific umbilical clamps mm -hmm. and then cut in between and that releases tension and make, make the delivery easier. And that's if it's very, very, very tight. Yeah, if it's like choking the baby. Exactly. Because what happens is usually it doesn't choke the baby while the baby's in the uterus, but as the baby moves down, it could almost like hanging the kid, you know, so you may have to get that cord off. If it's really tight, just put your fingers in there. If it seems real loose, just take it off the baby's head. Yeah, pull and it you around. You can do that, head. right? Like you said. But if it's really tight, you got to do this clamp thing and just make sure you cut in between those clamps. Right. Because that umbilical cord will release blood. That's right. And if you get it releasing from the wrong that's, side, you're releasing coming, baby's blood from the blood. baby from the baby. Yeah. Right. So that's super super important. Important. Now, what you need to do is gently hold each side of the baby's head, apply gentle traction straight down. That'll help the top shoulder out of the birth canal. Occasionally, some steady, gentle pressure on the top of the uterus, also controversial, by the way, during a contraction may be required if mom's exhausted and no longer can push. Many times, however, there's very little help. And people, the women, woman really wants to push. And once the shoulders are out, the baby will deliver with one last push. And that is the time mom can rest. You put the baby immediately on mom's belly, clean out its nose and mouth with a bulb syringe. They usually will begin crying. It's a good sign it's a vigorous infant. Uh, spanking the baby's bottom, by the way, Ugh. to get it to cry, very rarely need more cliche than anything else. A better way to uh, <clears throat> stimulate the baby is uh, to rub the baby's back. Interestingly yep. enough. Yep, absolutely. And then you want to dry the baby and wrap it up in a small towel or a blanket. At this point, you may clamp the cord if you have not done so already because it was very tightly around the, the neck. If it's not, then just clamp it with your Kelly or umbilical clamps cut in between with the scissors. Usually no hurry to perform this procedure, but uh, you can do it uh, whenever you want in that circumstance. The items are, by the way, needed are going to be in just about every delivery kit, and I'm sure it would be in yours. Mm -hmm. Now, once the baby's delivered, it's the placenta's turn. Be patient with this, too. In most cases, the placenta will deliver by itself within a few minutes. Avoid pulling on the umbilical cord to force the placenta out. Some people that are impatient yank on the umbilical cord, try to pull that out. Breaking the cord is the result sometimes due to excessive traction. Then that requires you putting your hand deep inside the uterus to extract the placenta. That's bad and can introduce infection. You can ask the mother to give a push whenever it's clear. The placenta's almost out, and that'll have it pop right out. Just make sure you get as much of the membrane out as you can with it. 
if traction is necessary for some reason, well, what you need to do is place your fingers above the pubic bone and press down as you apply traction because sometimes when you apply traction that way, the uterus actually will turn inside out. That's called the uterine inversion. And that is a bad thing, will cause a huge amount of bleeding and you have to actually re-invert it by placing your hand way up there and, and putting it back in its normal position. That is scary and it can really be a problem. Now, don't be surprised <clears throat> if there's bleeding after a normal delivery. It's very common. Usually you'll see it after the uh, delivery of the placenta. Right. And in that case, you apply a little pressure onto the uh, top of the womb to get the uterus contracting and it will slow down. Uh, once the placenta is out, you want to take a very quick look. The fetal surface of the placenta is going to be gray and shiny. If you turn it inside out, you'll see the maternal surface, which looks like a rough version of liver. The fetal surface is separated uh, into sections that look like lobes, and if a portion of the placenta rain, remains inside, you may have to extract it manually. Hopefully, you'll never have to do that. Uh, monitor the mom closely for excessive bleeding over the next few days in normal situations. The bleeding will become more and more watery as time progresses. This and, is, and it'll also become darker. Exactly. It turns brown. It goes yes. from a red right. to that cookie brown that every woman has experienced at the end of her period. Exactly. It turns to that. Now, if there's a smell, then yes. you need to go see whoever right. is taking Foul care discharge, of you. Foul discharge, fever, yeah. other issues, yeah. fever things especially. like that. So it should be noted <clears throat> that there are different schools of thought regarding a, a lot of the above. Your goal as at the end of all of this is to have a healthy mother and a healthy baby, both physically and emotionally, that is the most important thing. And I think that we are have gotten through the entire labor and delivery pretty much. Shocking. And we are just about out of time. We appreciate your listening to... At least a small pamphlet of how to deliver a baby. Not, there you go. Not the, the whole book. Not the whole <laughs> book of a midwifery, right? Not the whole nine yards. Yes, that's but right. a good portion. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the... Survival Medicine Hour with the old <laughs> geezer and Aww. the goddess, Dr. Bones and her Sammy, will be back next week. Thank you so much. Thank you.